The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. 70 million refugees worldwide displaced from their homes due to religious persecution. As a former congressman, Thomas Garrett has seen the tragedy up close. Garrett believes he's found his purpose. God's put us all here, every one of us, for a reason. And and you're, I believe in that butterfly effect. I'm not a hippie, right? But I mean, like, you do something good for somebody that causes them to do something good, and it ultimately might change the world. Time is of the essence. More than 340 million Christians live under high levels of persecution, as well as Muslims, Jews, and many other faiths. My duty as a Christian is to help Jews, to help Muslims, to help Yazidis, to help Sikhs, to help Hindus, to help human beings. That's what Jesus would have wanted us to do. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Talking about religious persecution on the day that the church celebrates the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Paul, once a persecutor of Christians, hides John Harper in for Drew this afternoon. And Paul had that tremendous conversion. And later on in the program, we're going to share our own conversion stories and how that conversion made you a better disciple to bring more souls to Christ. But in this hour where Christian persecution is taking place today... And in some cases, yes, it's half a world away, but in other cases, it's right in our own hometowns, and we'll explain coming up. First, let me bring you up to date on what's been happening. Of course, Russia, the United States, NATO increasing their military options as Russia continues to threaten to invade Ukraine. The Kremlin's been talking this morning saying that it's profoundly concerned by the latest U.S. moves, but it won't comment until it receives its written response from the Biden administration. Meanwhile, France and Germany planning to try to revive the de-escalation talks with Russia and Ukraine. That takes place in Paris tomorrow. Let me play you something that happened really in the last 30 minutes. It's Press Secretary Jen Psaki answering a question about whether the president believes that the situation with Russia has gotten worse since he had that face-to-face meeting with Vladimir Putin and whether all of Europe is in agreement that the tensions will escalate. I think what the president's speaking to is a united agreement uh, among our NATO partners, including Germany, about the fact that there will be severe consequences, severe economic consequences, should they invade. Uh, As our national security advisor and our secretary of state have said, uh, that doesn't happen. That unity doesn't happen uh, on its own. Now, meantime, Germany has been reluctant to to offer the military option in dealing with Russian aggression. And meantime, Ukrainian officials have been downplaying the potential invasion with their own people, saying not to worry. We've got 8,500 American troops on heightened alert this afternoon, ready for deployment to support those NATO forces in Europe. Let's keep you healthy on this Tuesday afternoon with the COVID update. This also breaking in the last hour where OSHA is withdrawing vaccination and testing requirements for companies with more than 100 employees. Also, there's some new CDC research that says the boosters are 90% effective in keeping you out of the hospital if you get the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Dr. William Schaffner is an infectious disease specialist. He's at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, and they're testing a vaccine that specifically targets the Omicron variant. Now that we have gone through this process, several times, we ought to be able to adapt to new variants much more quickly, get the vaccine ready, test it to make sure that it would be effective and safe, and then get it through our distribution process. And some good news is there's some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to this variant. It is certainly a a reassuring point when we recognize that the worst is not yet to come, that we have passed through it. 
you know, the surge is not over for hospitals, but there's hope that the worst is behind us. That's Dr. Stephen Thacker. He's with Memorial Health in Savannah, Georgia. Sadly, if you're listening in Ohio, the news is not good in your state. There's an average of 16,000 new cases of COVID every day. And in the last two weeks, deaths have increased by some 70%. This is Dr. Adam Mezoff, and he is the chief medical officer at Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. While we may have some uh, different views on uh, whether or not to get vaccinated, uh, if it's in the best interest of our community and our children, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Now, this is a conversation that you and I could not have had just two years ago when this pandemic first started, but now we can. There is an entire cottage industry of specialists like Aaron Collins. He is an aerosol scientist. That's his actual profession. But he also studies the masks that you and I are wearing, and he's got some advice for the best protection for you and me. There's tons of great N95 options out there. I'm a big fan of the 3M Aura series. You can get these at Home Depot, the 9205 Plus. This is a great mask, great protection, good fit. Uh, It's very comfortable to wear. So now there are specialists just taking a look at the masks that you and I wear. You wonder if there are going to be COVID-19 questions on SAT tests. Remember taking the SAT tests? the scholastic aptitude tests, and you're always worried about that number to get the high number to get into college. Well, your kids are going to take an SAT test like you and I have never took an SAT test before because it is going digital. You may begin now. Digital SATs begin in 2024. They'll measure the same knowledge and skills, but the College Board said they'll be shorter. Calculators will be allowed and results will be known in days instead of weeks. Put your pencils down. In dry runs, the College Board said most students found the digital SATs less stressful. I know you're saying, what am I going to do with all these number two pencils I got left over from my SATs? It's been replaced by the Apple Pencil, and you don't want to lose that. Hey, do you remember this? Thirty-seven years ago today, that's the charity supergroup USA for Africa, and they recorded "We Are the World" to raise money to battle hunger in Africa. In fact, if you really study the music video, you can see all the way in the background, Glenn Leverance is playing the accordion in that thing. That was done thirty-seven years ago. And when you stop to think about it, that video that united us 37 years ago, that all happened on television. That's as viral as viral got in a pre-internet world. And people came from all over the world to raise money for a solution, the solution to end hunger in Africa. Do the same thing today. It's easy. You can do it from home. It's a couple of mouse clicks, right? And you're speaking to the world. And with another couple of mouse clicks, someone is taking exception to whatever the cause is, and they've got a platform as big as the one that you went on. Social media is just one global tool that can turn you and I into persecutors, like Paul, right? As the church celebrates the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, the persecutor of Christians today, in the first reading today, in fact, from the Acts of the Apostles, there's Paul heading to Damascus. He encounters Jesus asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christian persecution has never stopped in the last 2,000 years. And if you think it's something that's happening a half a world away, think about the times you have gotten pushback because you've lived your faith in public or you didn't say anything because you were afraid of what the reaction might be because you are Catholic. Open Doors USA is just out with its world list of the top 50 countries where it is the most difficult to follow Jesus. And to give you some perspective, more than 300 million Christians, 300 million Christians live in places where they are persecuted for who they are 
Another way to do that math, one in seven believers worldwide. Jeremy Barker is with us now on the Drew Mariani Show. He's the senior program officer and the director of the Middle East Action Team for the Religious Freedom Institute. He's worked in rights-based relief development and advocacy across the Middle East, especially in Iraq, Turkey, and Egypt. Jeremy, good afternoon. Welcome to Relevant Radio. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's a privilege to be with you. Uh, can you give us some, uh, th- this is from Open Doors, 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. Can you give us some perspective? Is that up? Is that down? Where, do, where, where does that number stand in terms of the timeline of history in 2022? Yeah, well, it's increasing. Um, so this is up year on year for, for Open Doors, which this is one of the the largest um, studies that looks at and tracks in a systematic way persecution of, of any group, and Christians are, are in many ways the largest religious community persecuted in the world. They've been doing um, a version of this for, for nearly 30 years, and both in scale and severity, this is nearly as bad as we've seen over now nearly three decades of, of data. How has COVID-19, how has the pandemic exposed the persecution of Christians? Because we can't ignore that, and I'm sure it has something to do with the persecution of Christians in the world today. Yeah, well, I think we've seen in any time when you have a major stressor, those that are already marginalized are, are going to bear the brunt of that. And whether that's been scapegoating and blaming an increase on infections on a, a minority community, we've seen that take place, or um, where um, in places like uh, South Asia and Pakistan and elsewhere where, where Christians are, in, many of them are working in, as day laborers, where you have lockdowns that pushes people who are already barely getting by, living on the edge of, of the economy, um, puts them at, at even greater risk to even just provide for themselves. Um, and that's something that, that actually the World Watch List does very well, is, is it highlights um, kind of what we may think of as traditional aspects of persecution, of, of violent attacks, of arrest, of attacks on houses of worship, but it also looks at the cultural or the systemic and societal forms of pressure that um, really have, have very real impacts on, on people as well. And so it's important to, to recognize that persecution isn't just of one type, but it can impact individuals, families, communities in a number of different ways. As you were mentioning, Jeremy, those who are marginalized saw something in India, last place where you would expect Christian persecution in India with COVID-19 superimposed about over how it's affected uh, the population there. Those who were marginalized, those who are marginalized, uh, had a very difficult time getting food as uh, the Indian government tried to right things as much as possible with the pandemic going through there. So when we look at Christian persecution, it's at many, many different levels, some 300 million plus Christians around the world being persecuted, and again, that turns into one in every seven people. Uh, As we look at uh, authoritarian governments, obviously that's where the view of Christianity is a threat to their power, and so they are all over people in terms of persecution. Uh, Is the rejection of these basic human rights, Jeremy, just coming from simple ignorance? And if so, how do we overcome that ignorance? Yeah, um, well, there's 
I think a few different reasons for for hostility towards towards Christianity. Um, one one of the countries that that's not in the top ten of of open doors list, but really set the a blueprint for the the centralized authoritarian approach is what's happening in China and the way that the, the Chinese Communist Party um, utilizes a very sophisticated technology system, um, massive amounts of surveillance, and to control anything that they view as a ideological threat to to the Chinese Party. And and we see this um, going as far as uh, editing the Bible, taking out things that that could be contradictory to um, uh, to the official ideology, to influencing the the right of uh, religious institutions, the Catholic Church, uh, Protestants as well, to select their own leadership. Um, and and it's happening for Christians um, on an even greater scale. What's happening to to Muslims in Western China? Um, so in this, whereas China kind of sets the the bar for an authoritarian government that doesn't want any rivals to its authority. So you have that that sort of thing. You have other places where um, it may be an individual that is very authoritarian and, and wants to. To control and and dictates that, and we see that in a number of places across the Middle East, where you have um, a large scale kind of authoritarian, um, just a heavy handed ruler that that we may have more um, opportunity to make those value based arguments to show that religious freedom isn't a threat, but it's actually good for your country. Wow. In 2022, Christian persecution around the world remains one of the biggest human rights issues of this era. You hear us talk about it a lot here on Relevant Radio, and it even happens in our own communities, in our own families. And we'll get to that a little bit later on in our conversation here with Jeremy Baker, the Senior Program Officer and Director of the Middle East Action Team for the Religious Freedom Institute. We're looking at this new Open Doors study of Christian persecution worldwide. In the introduction, we mentioned your work in the Middle East in Iraq Turkey and Egypt. Can you give us some real-world stories of Christian persecution that you I witnessed, Jeremy? Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, a number of different stories that uh, in in a place like Iraq, where we've seen um, of the last number of years a uh, ISIS and the emergence of ISIS here that led to both the killing of, of Christians and massive displacement that set into this this huge refugee crisis. And we're now uh, seven, almost eight years beyond that, and still thousands and thousands of people that aren't able to return home. Um, and so you see, you have that, and I think you mentioned in the opening the, the scale of the, the refugee crisis. And, and we see that, something that doesn't necessarily always come through is the way that that religious persecution is a major driver of of displacement, and and those that are are stuck, unable to get home, that are in this in between land, that they're they can't go home, and and to go somewhere else is um, a an impossibility, or it's a very long line to to get there, and often it's it's being targeted because of your religious identity, your religious practices. That's um, the reason why you've been driven from your home. And so that's something that, that we've seen at a, a massive scale um, in the past. 
and the from this latest list, the the country that's moved to the top of the list for the first time is Afghanistan, and we're seeing massive displacement. But also for those who stayed, the the conditions there in Afghanistan are very very worrying. We should mention in our conversation with Jeremy Baker, because the connection is a little iffy, he is joining us live from Iraq. So you have to wonder, do you think somebody is listening to this call? Um, well, hopefully your listeners are. And um, In Iraq. In Iraq. Is somebody, is somebody monitoring this conversation right now? Um, I, I don't think so. Um but we actually have seen some positive developments here here in Iraq. The, the visit of the Pope um, back in March of last year really signaled um, to Iraqis, and we saw a number of them that were looking at that as, as a really positive development that showed there's a history of Christianity here in this country um, for, for millennia. And you mentioned uh, the history of Paul, who um, his conversion story happened um, just across the border in, in Syria. And so that's um, the historic legacy of, of Christianity in this part of the world is something that, that is worth protecting. And, and we, an encouraging time has been seeing a number of big, big elements of the population that, that see that as something worth protecting and, and something worth cultivating. You're right, uh, Damascus. That does the, the conversion of St. Paul does become a local story for you, Jeremy Baker, here as we look at Open Doors' new study on Christian persecution. And it is severe worldwide, some 350 million Christians being persecuted. They're just out with their top 50 list of countries on the world map where persecution is still alive and happening on a daily basis, affecting one in seven. That's 350 million Christians turns into one in seven being persecuted. Also in this Open Doors report, Jeremy, we learned that 4,277 churches or Christian buildings have been attacked in these 50 countries. We've seen the same attack on church buildings, sadly, here in the United States. What are, what are some of the red flags that we should be alerted to with these attacks on churches and Christian buildings here in the United States? What should we be paying attention to? Yeah, um, well, this it is a really concerning trend. Um, some of the, the colleagues that we've worked with um, that have experienced those sorts of attacks here in, in the Middle East, um, when they look at that's what happened, what's happened to um, to churches in, in the United States, that that number went over a hundred separate attacks on churches last year. Um, they said this this looks familiar. It looks similar to, to what ISIS has done. And it is something to, to be concerned about where you see a, a violent targeting against religious houses of worship. Um, it, it speaks to something really concerning in, in the culture that's lost a, a respect for and an understanding of the value of, of religion, per se, and, and the religious freedom that goes along to, to practice one's faith and um, and we've seen that turn not only destruction of property, but also um, violent attacks as well. And this is something that we do need to be very vigilant about, um, certainly as it affects Christians, but even, even the, um, the attack in Texas at a, a synagogue just last week. And, um, and those are, are really worrying trends that, as, um, as Americans, ought to be high on our list of showing that 
the, the value of religious communities, that this is something that we really still, um, value and are willing to protect and stand up for, for the right of religious freedom, both for our own communities as well as for those of others. This is Jeremy Barker joining us on the Drew Mariani Show. He's Senior Program Officer and Director of the Middle East Action Team for the Religious Freedom Institute. He's joining us live from Iraq, which is on this list from Open Doors. By the way, you can take a look at opendoorsusa.org, opendoorsusa.org, to see this brand new list of 50 countries around the world persecuting Christians, some 350 million. That turns into one in seven. And of course, we've seen that happen here in the United States. Jeremy, uh, with your experience in the Middle East, uh, specifically, let's just pick Turkey for the sake of the conversation, when citizenship is tied to faith, the meaning of a good Turk, the meaning of a good Muslim, what's the danger in that, which can also invade our conversations when we look at those around us? Yeah, absolutely. That's the question of um, defining identity and belonging and and orthodoxy, where you get um, the state into the business of saying that that who is and is not an acceptable citizen, um, it becomes um, really a weapon that can can be really problematic. We've seen in Turkey, as you mentioned, a country that um, a century ago had um, a a sizable minority, it's Armenian, Syriac, Assyrian, um, Christian populations that are are now nearly extinct in that country, that um, it's that where you have that in and out group being div- div- divided, it sets the stage for violence. But even if there's not violence, there's this slow pressure that pushes people out of the society um, and and this kind of weaponization of identity and controlling of religion um, is only um, a recipe for disaster. Mm. And that's why religious freedom is so important. The, the protection of that as um, in the American experience is, is articulated in the First Amendment um, is so vital to a, a vibrant society, is protecting the right for, for individuals and the institutions that they form to, to live out their deepest beliefs. And when that's lost, um, the consequences are, are devastating. 50 places on earth where faith in Jesus costs the most. Open Doors USA has just looked at it, giving us perspective. Jeremy Barker, the Senior Program Officer and Director of the Middle East Action Team at the Religion Freedom Institute. You can check them out at religiousfreedominstitute.org. Jeremy, thank you so much for your perspective. Joining us live from Iraq here today on the Drew Mariani Show. And yes, this is a form of religious persecution because now we've got Catholic health care at risk again this afternoon here in the United States. We'll take a look at that Coming up next, John Harper for Drew Mariani here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Get informed and get connected. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
John Harbour for Drew Mariani this afternoon. If you're just joining us on your smart speaker or on the relevant radio app, we were talking about Christian persecution. It's alive and well, and Open Doors USA is just out with their list of 50 countries where some 350 million Christians, one in seven, being persecuted. But let's bring this home. Catholic healthcare is at risk again and again at the hands of the federal government. Does this not fit under the umbrella of Christian persecution? Here's the Department of Health and Human Services preparing sweeping mandates with the target again being Catholic organizations. HHS plans new rules to mandate that health care providers comply with abortion and gender transitions agendas. No exceptions. Say that again. No exceptions. And that includes religious freedom exceptions. Dr. Stephen White is the president of the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association. He's a pulmonologist and the director of respiratory care at Halifax Medical Center in Florida. Dr. Stephen is also past president of the Catholic Medical Association and currently serves as its representative to the Subcommittee on Healthcare Issues at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You can find them online at catholichealthalliance.org. Dr. White, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Thanks for your time. John, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be here. Give us some historical perspective here, because what we're doing is going back to some of the uh, ways of the Obama administration overturned by the Trump administration. But now the Biden administration is like doing what Obama did on steroids. No question about it. Um, this is an existential threat to the Ministry of Catholic Health Care, and it's why the Holy Spirit has um, led the organizations uh, that are involved in this new Catholic Health Care Leadership Alliance Uh, to the point that we're at today, uh, we have to come together as a clear, strong, united voice, as the body of Christ, as I like to refer to it, uh, to meet this threat. And a number of Catholic organizations, doctor, are suing in the United States District Court. And again, it started with the Obama administration. The rules got changed when Donald Trump and, you know, arguably the most pro-life president in the history of the United States. There's no question about that. And now these proposed changes by the Biden administration. Is this more than just a Catholic issue? Because isn't this going to impact anyone who says I'm a Christian? Oh, absolutely. Uh, anyone that uh, promotes life and the dignity of the human person. So it goes. it even goes beyond religion, John. I mean, anyone who Uh, basically accepts the natural law. Uh, Anyone who accepts the constitutional rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness will be be at threat here. Uh, It's in the health profession, um, but it's it's just an existential threat to to the constitutional rights that we have in the First Amendment. Why do they feel the need to do this? Well, if I could be perfectly frank, um, I don't think our enemy uh, is this administration. I don't think uh, the problem is uh, necessarily politics, although that's the way it's um, coming to us. Really, the enemy is Satan. Uh, the saint, uh, Satan is a, a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And this entire agenda, as your audience well knows, um, you know, is the culture of death. And that culture of right. death is implemented by Satan. And, of course, you look at 100,000-plus last Friday at the March for Life, and uh, we see the literal face of the future of the Catholic Church. So, you know, we've got some numbers on our side, but we also have to harness that energy to push back in things like this that may not get the headlines all the time, but are just the undercurrent of what's going on in Washington to derail us as Catholics and Christians in the United States, Doctor. No question. And that's why we are just we are just so filled with abundant joy. And, and I want to bring hope to your audience uh, with regard to health care, because we have brought together 
um, really at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit acting through uh, Bishop James Connolly from Lincoln, Nebraska, to bring together uh, experts with experience in every facet of healthcare, medicine, law, bioethics, administration, pastoral care, the delivery of care through large health systems through the Franciscan Alliance. We really are coming together uh, to create this alliance to promote, safeguard, and strengthen the remarkable ministry of Catholic healthcare that existed in this country before anyone else had done healthcare. You know, the Ursuline sisters came here back in the early 1700s at the request of uh, a governor. And uh, since then, we've just had a remarkable history. But over the course of the last 50 years, we have seen nothing but a relentless, uh, aggressive assault on that. And again, it comes through, uh, you know, it comes through Satan, but he uses his instruments. And uh, we simply have to have that clear, strong, united voice to push back. You know, we went met in Washington. We timed the launch of the uh, CHCLA uh, to coincide with the pro-life uh, march the March for Life, simply because that is where we bring together the largest number of people who advocate for life, liberty, and human dignity. And we had an opportunity to meet with uh, many leaders while we were there. They're just excited and enthused about this initiative. We met with about a half a dozen uh, offices on the Hill in the House an incredible enthusiasm to know that we're coming together as an alliance with all of this experience and all of this expertise to begin to really rebuild the culture of life and the culture of love uh, in the ministry of healthcare, which which we we know was established by Christ Himself. Right. Thanks be to God for that, Dr. Stephen White, our guest here on the Drew Mariani Show, the president of Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association. We're talking about a new HHS plan, Department of Health and Human Services, to mandate that healthcare providers comply with abortion and gender transitions, with no exceptions, and that includes religious freedom exemptions. You can join our conversation here because we know that you're concerned about this as well. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Our number triple eight nine one four nine one. Dr. White, we've talked about this being more than just a Catholic issue. Anybody who lives their Christianity is at risk here. And also anyone from a small business offering health care coverage to a huge Catholic hospital, they're all vulnerable under this HHS plan, aren't they? They are, because it doesn't only involve providers of health care, it's also payers and those who deliver health care, the systems themselves. So yes, payers, insurers, uh, everyone is at risk here. This this is literally, uh, literally an existential threat. They will put. They they are trying to drive those of us of faith, but again, not only of faith. Anyone who believes in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is guaranteed in the, um, you know, in our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, all of these people are at risk. And you know, it's not a small percentage of the population in this country. Well over fifty percent, for example, we know are pro-life. Um, so this is a huge, huge deal. Uh, we need to educate what, what the CHCLA intends to do uh, through its organizations uh, and new initiatives is to begin to educate. John, we, we really need to educate the public. It's, it's under the radar. They don't really know what's coming. They know things are bad uh, and they'd like to th- see things change. But we have to also, while we provide leadership at the top, we have to begin a grassroots movement. So all of your audience needs to get involved. They need to go to our website. They need to contact us. We're looking for um, ideas, thoughts from, from everyone. This has got to be a top-down, bottom-up initiative uh, in order to defeat, literally defeat the culture of death and healthcare. 
And that website is catholichealthalliance.org, catholichealthalliance.org. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I was having a conversation last night with a priest and we were talking about the March for Life and how we pray that Roe versus Wade will be overturned at the Supreme Court. But that's only really the beginning because then the issue of life becomes a state's rights issue, and but it really becomes an issue that happens in our own kitchens. Because we have to talk about life in our own families, and that's going to be not trickle down, but trickle up, not only through our parish communities, but our communities at large and our state capitals, which is where the abortion fight is going to wind up. And the same thing applies here to our conversation about what's going on with HHS, that we need to educate ourselves about what's happening there and then again start the conversation in our own families, doctor. Yeah, no question about that. And um yeah, it has to be, it's going to be put back to the state. Some people are very excited about, as I am, about uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. That will be a huge, huge victory for the pro-life movement. But as you said, that's simply going to send this battle back into 50 states, which is why I emphasize the uh, importance of the grassroots roots movement. Uh, we're, we're well positioned, though, to uh, provide assistance and support. And as you know, one of our uh, principal um, one of our principal actions will be a public advocacy and support of organizations. But at the state level, two of the organizations that we have, both the Catholic Medical Association and the Car- Catholic Bar Association, are membership organizations. And we have a network of lawyers and uh, medical professionals throughout the country in every state that will help to come to support the other pro-life organizations, faith-based organizations, and others of goodwill to take this battle up in each individual state. Um, it's going to be a great challenge, but again, uh, we feel very, very optimistic uh, and enthusiastic. Uh, we are simply convinced, as uh, I hope your audience will be, that this is a movement of the Holy Spirit, um, and together we will overcome and we will see that victory won in each and every state. As you talk about the Holy Spirit who's overseeing this broadcast in our conversation, Dr. White, we do have the opportunity with the intercession of the Holy Spirit, as you say, to educate an audience we can talk about abortion. We know what those issues of life are. Uh, when we get to issues of transgenderism, it gets a little cloudy. How can we have that conversation? How can you educate us to have that conversation? So what is happening at the Department of Health and Human Services is something that's very personal to us. Well, it's going to take an educational effort because the other side has certainly framed uh, this conversation about transgender um, as sort of an issue of compassion um, with regard to people who have gender dysphoria. There's tremendous confusion about gender dysphoria, and um, it's not really recognized for the psychological uh, illness that it actually is. And unfortunately, my own profession, the medical profession, has not helped that. We have to begin by helping people to understand basic anthropology, which they do understand, although they might not understand it in that language. We are made in the image and likeness of God, male, and female. That cannot be changed by man. A man cannot be a woman. A woman cannot be a man. When you, when you take it from that basis, that fundamental basis, and you look at what people are doing, particularly, John, to our children, um, everyone understands that there are children who go through these phases of development sexually, uh, emotionally, and there's confusion that arises. It really is what gender dysphoria has been and still is. We need to educate people, including healthcare professionals, on how to appropriately address that so that 
those 85 to 90 percent of children who go through that phase and eventually realize it was an error are not mutilated with hormones and surgical procedures uh, that will disfigure and, and destroy them uh, for the rest of their life, and they will regret this. So it's going to be a huge educational effort uh, on our part. But remember, we are the church. We have the resources available. And as you said, many others of goodwill will join us. Catholic Healthcare at risk again here in the United States with the Department of Health and Human Services preparing some sweeping mandates, again, targeting Catholic organizations. And we're talking about that with Dr. Stephen White, who's the president of the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Donna's in Dickinson, Texas. Hi, Donna. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. You're on with Dr. I have a question for the doctor. Yes. My question is, you made a, a, a comment that really I agree with totally, is that this is the work of Satan and not quite, as you said, Biden. But my question to you is, you've got to know that there are people that are out of their own free will that are putting these mandates in order to destroy the Catholic faith, to destroy the family unit. And do you know who these people are, especially if they're going to be uh, federal mandates. So if the question is, do we know who the people are that are writing the regulations and will implement them? Um, the answer is yes. And I would ask everyone on this uh, call to pray for them. Um, I don't want to mention names, but it's easy to figure out who's in charge of the uh, White House, uh, who our uh, senators and representatives are that uh, would promote this and who those at the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington are. And we need to pray for their conversion. Um, You know, we're all sinners and uh, we have all been given God's grace to know the truth and to live the truth uh, and to do that in love. So it is a spiritual battle that we're involved in. We are called to be active uh, within the political sphere and the public square. Um, But because it is a a battle against Satan uh, and the demons, uh, we have to pray not only for uh, that we prevail, but we must pray for those that are being used as instruments to implement uh, this terrible um, culture of death in the uh, medical profession. Donna, thank you so much for the question. We're here with Dr. Stephen White, the president of the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association, and we're talking about new HHS plans, new rules to mandate healthcare providers comply with the abortion agenda and the transgender agenda. The trans, yes, the the gender transition agenda, I should say, with no exceptions. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine to join our conversation and to work on solutions this afternoon on the Drew Mariani Show here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today's programming is brought to you by St. Gregory Recovery Center in Iowa. More information about their faith-centered addiction treatment is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. Your Life Connected, The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. The church commemorates the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, who's one of the leading Christian persecutors in the history of the planet. 
Here we are some 2,000 plus years later. Christian persecution is continuing. We talked about that in the first half hour of the Drew Mariani Show happening around the world and right here at home with Catholic Healthcare at risk again with the Department of Health and Human Services preparing some more sweeping mandates, no exceptions. Again, targeting Catholic organizations, really any Christian organization to comply with the abortion agenda and gender transitions as well. Again, no exceptions. That includes religious freedom exceptions. Our conversation here with Dr. Stephen White, the president of the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association and with you at 888-914-9149 to help you craft the conversation, not only with your family, but with elected officials. This is where you and I have to get together with clarity and charity to let those know, not only in our state capitals, but especially our elected delegations in Washington, D.C., where you and I stand as Roman Catholic men and women today with these real issues that are facing us and what is being proposed by the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. White, you talked about uh, the March for Life, and of course you've talked about how uh, you're not only involved with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops on the subcommittee to of health care issues, but conversations with those on Capitol Hill. Uh, you were saying you were optimistic. Tell us a little bit more about those conversations, and I'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball a little bit as well with midterm elections coming up and perhaps a change of parties in control on Capitol Hill, what that means to what we're talking about right now. Yes, uh, that's huge, um, because if there is a transition, uh, number one, uh, it will basically stalemate the agenda that's being uh, promoted and um, pushed forward now. Uh, But in addition to that, it will give uh, the party in power of either the House or the Senate or both to begin to make proposals for legislation that will really, really move us away from this agenda. You know, uh, our, our meetings on the Hill, and it wasn't just Uh, This time, I mean, all of our organizations, the Catholic Medical Association, the Catholic Bar Association, the National Catholic Bioethics Center uh, and the Catholic Benefits Association, as well as the Christ Medicus Foundation, have been involved in public advocacy on the Hill in Washington and in their state legislatures, really over the course of the last several decades as we've faced these challenges. But when we came together, John, uh, and, and, and helped them to see that we have now formed this alliance. Uh, that will bring a clear, strong, united Catholic voice to their support. They were very enthused, not only because the voice will be strong and clear, but because there are policies uh, that um, legislators have. I've been involved in, in uh, with groups that are very, very uh, come up with very, very detailed healthcare proposals that are actually based very solidly on Catholic moral, ethical teaching and Catholic social teaching, which which forms a very nice framework for these types of proposals. Uh, they were very excited that we'll, that we're there to support them, and if they were to take back the House and the Senate, they could begin to propose. Um, and hopefully enact legislation uh, that would move us away from, for example, government control, which is part of the problem, and also make proposals that would be solidly uh, pro-life. So the enthusiasm uh, was um, really heartwarming. uh, And I have to tell you again that uh, this audience after this presentation this afternoon should um, continue to pray, certainly, continue to fast, certainly, Uh, But to leave this conversation with uh, a level of enthusiasm that I personally have not experienced in the 30 years that I've been involved in this work. Thanks be to God for that. And again, with clarity and charity, get on the phones to those elected officials in Washington, D.C. And we know from our conversations over the years that while you may speak to a member of uh, that particular office, if you're going to call your congressman or senator, those messages are read by the person that you elected and put into office, even if you didn't elect them. 
They read them. And if we do this with clarity and charity, with great numbers, we're going to turn this around. This, these HHS plans, uh, these new rules to mandate health care providers comply with abortion and the issues of transgender. Mary's in Lexington, Kentucky, listening to Relevant Radio 94.9 on with Dr. Stephen White. Mary, good afternoon. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was kind of piggybacking off of the caller before who talked about, you know, who is um, voting for the people for these mandates. And my biggest problem was is uh, family members and friends that are, you know, solid Catholics, they all voted for this party that is going to codify abortion. And I I just don't even know what to say to them when they are constantly uh, coming at me for voting against it, for being a one-issue voter or... Um, calling me a zealot. And, you know, I come back at them and say, you know, I feel like people voted with hate in their heart because they built up hate for the other candidates so much. But, you know, the what do we say to our fellow Catholics that voted this way, but then they'll come back and go, well, I don't really support abortion. I'm like, but you voted for this. That's a good question. And, and what I can... The way that I'd like to respond to that is is the way John has been um, alluding to, and that is with clarity and charity. Um, I think we need to educate ourselves. Those in the pro-life community sometimes don't present the message all that clearly. Uh, and quite frankly, because things are so divisive and we get emotional, sometimes it isn't with the utmost charity. Uh, this organization, the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Alliance, will be providing on its website resources that are made available to you. Our own, our own organizations. Uh, you will have links to all five of those organizations. Each of those organizations has an abundance of material that you can draw from. So you educate yourselves, you educate the pro-life community, and then with, again, clarity and charity, as John says, we bring this message home. Remember, everyone has a heart for the truth. We're all made in the image of, uh, and likeness of God. We're all called to live Christ, to be in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we live Christ together as the body of Christ, we will bring that influence to bear. We will see conversions, and we will see the culture of life prevail. Amen. Mary, thanks for the call in Lexington, Kentucky, with Dr. Stephen White. And again, that website is catholichealthalliance.org, catholichealthalliance.org. And uh, the timing of having this conversation on the day that the Church commemorates the conversion of Paul, and there's Paul converting the Gentiles who went out to the world to bring others to Christ. If you share catholichealthalliance.org on your social media platform, you're today's Paul. You're sharing this message of life. You're sharing the story of life to others who may be lukewarm Catholics, who may not know, who may be a Catholic, as Mary just pointed out. And there are members of our own families who have uh, voted against life. So this is an opportunity for us to be the modern-day Pauls and to share this message of life today. Rochelle's in California here on the Drew Mariani Show at 888-914-9149. Rochelle, welcome to the show, and you're on with Dr. White. Hi, thank you. Um, I need help uh, with uh, understanding how to educate people. Of course, I need to get educated on what it means when you say religious freedom exemptions. So I'm an immigrant. I've been here for 20 years, and I'm from India. And when I talk to my other friends, um, you know, we don't understand that. It's very, um, we didn't grow up with something like that, so we don't understand what 
that means. And uh, a lot of Indians, I'm Catholic, but a lot, majority of Indians are Hindus, and they don't also understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. So that part I can explain. I just can't explain the, the constitutional part. So um, I know you were looking for ideas, and I'm wondering if that could be something you could educate, you know, since since this country is full of immigrants. Sure, sure. No, thank you very much. We're looking for these types of questions. Uh, and again, you can contact us through the website. We're, we're very interested in knowing what it is that people feel uncomfortable talking about so that we can give them information in plain language so that they can explain to others, as you just said. What are our constitutional rights? What does the First Amendment say about religious liberty? And how can we defend that so that none of us are ever, ever required or coerced into acting against our religion or against our conscience. I just spent a day at our state legislature here in Florida um, advocating and supporting a bill that, that shouldn't even be necessary, and that is a bill to protect my religious liberty and my uh, medical rights of conscience so that I can never be coerced into performing an abortion or providing transgender therapy or, for that matter, providing any therapy uh, that is harmful, that I consider harmful to a patient. I swore an oath 42 years ago when I uh, graduated from medical school to never harm a patient. It's not only about the ethics of medicine, it's about good medical practice. So uh, I appreciate that question, and I would just encourage the audience again, any questions, there's no bad question, there's no inquiry that we are not very interested in, please contact us through our website at catholichealthalliance.org. We are looking for your support. And that website is just chock full of information, and it can really help you craft the conversation at CatholicHealthAlliance.org. Dr. White, are we perhaps in a limbo of sorts here? Would we have this conversation in maybe five or ten years? We saw 100,000 people at the March for Life, and we've seen the demographics of the March for Life, and arguably the next two generations are pro-life. Uh, but we're in a generation now where a lot of adults are undercatechized and may not be comfortable having these conversations about life because they simply do not know. So are we kind of in this limbo period here where we really need to step up our education versus what may be coming down the pike? Well, yes, I think we're on the cusp of what St. John Paul often referred to as a new springtime in the church. He spoke mm -hmm. so frequently of that, John, and we really do leave this launch with a with with an with a vision for a new springtime as well in healthcare. We really see the opportunity here, um, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to reestablish that culture of life and the vocation of medicine and to advance the cause of human life and human dignity from conception to natural death. I believe we're on the cusp of that new springtime, but we have to respond. Just right. as Paul responded just as Paul responded, and we celebrate that today, we must respond to the Amen. inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come, almost Holy Spirit, come. Dr. Stephen White is the president of Catholic Healthcare Leadership Association. Check out the website, catholichealthalliance.org, catholichealthalliance.org, to frame the conversation that you can have to change minds in Washington, D.C., with this HHS sweeping mandate just kind of sitting there right over, uh, ready to be enacted. Dr. White, thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you so much. God bless you and all the listeners. Drew Mariani prays the Divine Mercy Chaplet coming up. And speaking about the next generation of Catholics, we've got Curtis Martin with the Fellowship of Catholic University of Students coming up here on the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.